Well, you can argue that the attractional church, which I've led and founded, so, you know, here I am, put my hand up. Um, In many ways, it was a broadcast model. You know, that that is, you come to the central event, you sing a few songs, you listen to the message while it's being broadcast, you know, and then you kind of go home. Now, obviously, it's much more complicated than that. There's starting point, there's on-ramps, there's small groups, there's serving, there's building into the next generation, there's serving in the community, there's all of those things. Um, But that doesn't have to happen in a central facility. So I'd love to get your read because uh, there is a debate, a quiet debate about, well, you know, when when things are whatever the new normal is and we're not wearing masks and there's a vaccine or the virus has died out and people can go back and feel comfortable to go back. Um, if we had 13 locations, are we going to have 13 locations in the future? Will we consolidate? Like uh, you advise church planters and multipliers all the time. What do you think the future of the physical building and the model as we've known it will be like? moving into the future when things are relatively normalized, even in a, in a different yeah. way. I, I, again, I'm, I'm not prophetic here, Carrie. So th- these are the opinions of Todd Wilson right now. I, uh, I do not say the brick and mortar going away. Yeah. Like it, it, and if it does start to go away, we're talking a lag period of time right now. I mean, mm-hmm. you and I talked this before, just, if, if the model is currently driven by money, there, yes, there's a there are a percentage of churches out there that are debt-free and don't have big mortgages on their buildings. But if we really went and looked at the oh, data, yeah. there's a whole lot of churches out there right now with a whole lot of debt on their buildings. That need to fill them up to pay off that, that need debt. need to fill them up. What are and, they getting? And, and let me just clarify that because you talked about money a few times. And I know you well enough to say you're not saying that as a cynic. Because I can imagine the comments being populated with, see, the church is after your money. That's not yeah. what you're getting at. No, no. And in fact, uh, even in the micro models, the, the, the strength of the current model in the U.S., I, I have been in many gatherings, Carrie, with more the missional end of the spectrum of things. And usually the messaging is if we only had the microphone you know, the, the way the ability to get the word out that the bigger churches do. And we only had the platform they have and we only had the money that they have. And it's like, whoa, 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 just stop right there. If we only had the platform, the money and the microphone, we could really get this missional thing done. Well, guess what? The mega church and the prevailing model in the U.S. has those things. I think the question is, it, it, and I'm on staff at a mega church, like how do we leverage the blessing we have in the mega and and the prevailing model with money as a getting into more places and and things. I'm, I want to be optimistic that we're increasingly going to see, especially the churches that are more well off financially flipping the equation. I'm starting to hear churches, bigger churches say, we're not doing big buildings anymore. In fact, we're going to start thinking about, you know, what if we don't have any more facilities that seat more than 500 people? What if we're going more to a parish model where we're helping mobilize people in different areas? Mobilize is the word I keep hearing. Mobilizing people, mobilizing people, mobilizing people. It's hard. Go ahead. No, no, no. I, you keep going. Um, and so I, I've got to believe that even the mobilization part money, you know, money's not our, an evil thing here. We just have to realize that the current model both consumes the money for staff and buildings, 
but it's the blessing that gives us the investment into the things we get to do for mobilization. The question is, what kind of steward are we going to be in this new normal for mobilizing both people and the assets, the, the money assets of things? And that was one of the, the the rubs, the like most fascinating part of that first conversation you and I had uh, when I was in the car that day and we just talked and talked and talked about this stuff. But um, was was you articulated for me what was true, that the incentive on the return to church. So let's say, you know, let's take the, the, the outliers out. So we're talking about a church of 600 people, which is relatable. Even if you're a church of 200, you can almost imagine six if you're a church of 1,500, you remember six people, 600 people, whatever. You know, they got $2 million in debt on their facility. They're they're floating a little high in their mortgage. And they're like, I got to fill this place up because that's the only way we're going to pay it off. And, and there is the incentive to return to church. Plus their whole staffing model is actually built around, well, we only really know how to do building through a central facility. And I've, I've blogged a little bit about that, you know, about addictions that pastors have. We're addicted to full rooms. We're addicted. Our egos are a little bit addicted to crowds and, you know, confessional there. Yep, I've felt that. Uh, we all love the endorphin kick we get when people laugh at our jokes and cameras don't laugh at us. So we know that stuff. Um, but But some of that was you know, that we are addicted to the building. As much as we said the church didn't close when our buildings closed, we behaved like it did. There was almost a sense like, we don't even know what to do. It's almost like we're a ship's captain, but we have no ship and we can't get out onto the ocean. But actually we know theologically ministry doesn't work that way. So I'd love for you to advise the person, let's pick that church of five or 600 that's got a few million in debt that is like, my gosh, like if this goes on for another year and we don't fill up that building, because when people show up at the building, they will give money and we'll be able to pay it off. How do they pivot into a different future? Yeah, I, th- this is where, uh, you know, I, I would like Dave Ramsey's stock because <laughs> it, doesn't it seem the church you're describing right now there? It seems like there's going to be a profile of church where the very best thing they can focus on as a lesson coming out of this is let's get out of debt. Yeah. Like, let's yeah. like, like. There's a realization. If you go back to the mental health question you asked, so you're the pastor. Yes. That church that you're talking about right now, you are waking up carrying a burden that your people in the church don't even know you're carrying right now. You're realizing, my goodness, we're not meeting right now. What's going to happen to finding? Oh, my goodness, we've got a $2 million building debt. That equates to X amount. And on one hand, you're hearing all about this new normal and what are we going to do in the new normal? And you're realizing, oh my goodness, I don't even know if I'm going to survive the old normal or not. And so the the chaos of that, I think one thing it leads to is back to this idea of margin. Do we have financial margin? Um, and, and again, we've been fortunate so far to not really what other industry, I mean, I think you and I might have talked this before in my life right now, you know, there's not very many examples when COVID hit of things that were automatically coming out of my checking account or my uh, credit card. You know, the gym being one of them, the gym yeah, yeah. out money every month. What other sectors tolerate continuing to take money out when you're not delivering a product and a service? Right. And the more you're viewed as Sunday's the product and service and all of a sudden you're not delivering are people just going to go on and on and on for years, continuing to let the money come out when their perception is 
wait a minute, we're not meeting on Sunday anymore kind of thing. And it seems like the church you're describing that we'll even say 200 to 1,000 range. Yep. Tensions that are in there, you're getting your first building, you've got your debt, you're multi-staff, you're multi you're trying multi-site. You have created, uh, you know, this financial commitment to things that all of a sudden there's a commitment there in it that, that doesn't just go away. So Well, and even if it's paid for, you have a sunk cost bias. It's like we have this asset worth hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars that what are we going to do with? Like, I'm, I'm not paying rent right now. My company's distributed. It's been virtual since day one. And we're not that big. We have like seven staff, okay, plus me. So I work out of my house. But if I was paying... 10,000 a month on office space, I would feel very differently about being a remote company than, than I do right now because like it's business as usual, right? And I think that's a bit of a parable for the future church. The other thing I will say, just in defense of young leaders, I've had so many of these conversations. I'm sure you have too, Todd. Uh, there's a whole generational shift in lead pastors happening right now with a lot of millennials taking over from boomers and some older Gen Xers. And the story that I'm getting is they were told there was X amount of debt and then they get into the church and they realize, oh, founding pastor, my predecessor, didn't really tell me the truth. Like there's twice as much debt as he said it was. And the church is actually significantly smaller than he said it was. And so some of the burden that they're carrying, they inherited and they yeah. didn't even have full disclosure up front. So it was hard enough digging out from that mess when, and I, you know, I rarely hear a good news story on succession. It's never like, you know what? It was better than he said. And we have more money in the bank than he said. It's almost always the opposite right. uh, if they didn't get full disclosure. And so I just I just wanted to go on record as saying I've got a lot of empathy for that. Mm. Mm -hmm. So if so, basically, uh, yeah, because people I do get this question from time to time and you deal with church planners all the time, but people are like, and they'll ask me point blank, like, how do you get those online people to pay? And I'm like, I never asked for money for people online when I was leading a church because I see that as our outreach. And if they buy in, they will fall. It's just like you don't hit up your first time guests at the church going, oh, Todd, what's your name? Todd? Yeah, Todd, did you leave an offering today? I did, did you? Because like, if you're gonna come back here again, we really need you to give. Like you would never do that to a first time guest. It's part of the discipleship process. And then eventually if they connect and you know, you help them or you lead them to faith and down the road, the wallet gets saved. And that's when they're like, I'm going to give to God. And it sort of happens automatically. Any thoughts on like the online finance model? Yeah, I think the, the, I think the question we've got to wrestle with, I mean, you, you know, of the Pareto principle that, yeah. you know, 20%, 20% of something take care of 80 to 90, or, you know, 90% of yeah. things. And I think that's the question to wrestle with on this. The more we go to more digital, I mean, let's go all the way to the extreme of all digital. Like, what's it look like relationally and everything else to build the relationships with the 10 or 20% of the people that are the make or break on the finances? Hmm. Like, they're, you, you've got to have that 10 or whatever your budget is, pick a budget. At the end of the day, the, the physical laws say, 10 or 20% of the people who call your thing home are going to really be the make or break funding your thing. And yeah. the model right now, 
take many of the big churches that don't need to do services till January or, you know, my prediction is we're going to have a whole wave of those churches that are going to tell us they're not meeting till September. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think you're wrong. And what allows them to do that? They have a trusted base of, you know, if we went and looked at their finances, I guarantee in those churches, 10 or 20% of people are paying 80 or 90% of the bills. And my guess is that some of the senior leadership, if not the lead pastor, has tapped a couple of those guys or women on the shoulder and said, hey, can we count on you in this season? In fact, I think it could be a great opportunity for a church of any size to approach some of your top donors and say, hey, we want to do online. And this is, like you said, it's missionary work. Like, we don't know where this is going to go. We're going into new territory. Would you get behind us? Would you fund an increased online presence? And I would be shocked if a bunch of those donors, particularly entrepreneurial minded people, wouldn't say, are you kidding me? I would love to give to that. But we don't think outside that box to do that. It seems like that's absolutely what needs to happen. And that is, a dis- I mean, if we think of it through the discipleship lens, it's a discipling thing with those people too. Yeah. And and now I have to put my new church hat, you know, the church planting hat into the future. So as we go more digital, where did, you know, let's just say digital becomes more and more of a normal thing. Just something as simple as how do you even build the relationship in an all online thing where that simple, you know, as the lead pastor, how to go ask that money, you set up a dinner, you set up a coffee appointment, you know, you aren't really going to just tap the person on the shoulder if you don't know them and don't have a relationship and have never connected with them. There's some relational context there for doing it. We get that benefit right now. The way we've been doing church, we still have that ability to tap on the shoulder. It's not clear in the new pivot of the future how those relationships even get built when if, if there's not a what I call home, my family home, if so I think that's very fair. And I, I think that's where, uh, you know, another story that doesn't get told enough is so many church leaders have now dozens, hundreds, thousands of volunteers that really haven't done a whole lot in the last six months. A lot of them are very relational people. And if you put them in the chat, you said, you know, here's 15 people that we've identified. Could you just connect with them, like text them, email them, uh, hit them up on social and just build a relationship with them. And you start, you start doing that. Like you have so many relational people in a church and, uh, you know, you need parameters and guidelines around that. But I, I think that's a great way. And that scales, you know, I think it was Dave Dummett from now Willow who said, we used to spend millions of dollars to reach thousands of people. And now we'll spend thousands of dollars to reach millions of people. I think that is a little bit of the pivot that we could move into. Do you think, um, that church attendance is going back? to pre-COVID levels. So the church of 500, when the vaccine's in place and, you know, schools aren't weird anymore and things are normal. Do you think they're back to 500? Do you think they're at 300? I mean, we know the return to church numbers are 20 to 50% of normal, um, but we're still in COVID. So any thoughts on where that might land down the road? I hate to come back to the definition of church for a second, but let me split it like this. If, If we were defining church in the future after the new pivot, the same way we're defining it pre, pre-COVID? Well, I'm thinking about the guy who's waiting for his building to fill up again or her building to fill up again. And that, I think, is a tough road ahead. It, <laughs> I mean, just wanted my gut right now. I don't see the post-COVID numbers bound. This isn't like a stock market. 
you know, what goes down comes back up, you know, in our yeah. life, so you and my lifetime, you could bet in the stock market from start to finish in our lifetime right now. What comes down goes back up. Um, is it going to go back up? I mean, yeah, it's going to go back up. Is it going to, how quickly is it going to go where it was and will it ever get to where it was? Or are we going to see it in a decentralized way? I wouldn't be betting on it coming back quickly. I mean, I think it was data you guys did with Barna that I don't remember the exact statistics, but it was sobering that. Oh, it's very sobering. In COVID, the percentage of, of regular church attenders who just stopped church altogether was pretty high. 48%. I was just looking at those numbers this morning. And uh, so 48% of people in that poll that we did with Barna, I say we, Barna, David, his crew, uh, 48% had not done anything online. And of those who had, 40% watched their home church and 23% watched another church, which gets to that earlier point of market consolidation. Like, you know, some of the, it's it's like what happened to independent bookstores in the 90s when um, Barnes and Noble came along and Borders came along and kind of stamped out all the small players. Then Amazon came along and made it hard to sell books, period. And I wonder if you see some of that market consolidation, as economists would call it, happening in the church world where they're like, wow, this is really neat. And the longer this goes, I've talked to other megachurch leaders who said, this is habit forming. You know, I've said to Jeff Brody, my successor, and we're, we're on great terms, but I'm like, you know, church has been five hours for me my entire life. And for the last five months, other than when I'm preaching, it's 45 minutes on a Sunday morning. Now, I'm happy to give half a day a week to it, right? I started a church. I mean, I'm involved in the church. I love the local church. I believe in the mission. And I think it's the hope of the world. All those things, yes, 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 yes. But for the average person to go from 45 minutes to five hours again, that's a hard flip back, particularly when those 45 minutes have now been five months, six months, seven months, eight months, a year. It's like, whew, that's a that's a tough flip. So I think you're right. If you're waiting for your building to refill to pre-COVID levels, that is, that's a tough road to hoe. Yeah. And it, when, when you've got, you know, for, for people not in ministry, the Monday through Friday, when I was in the marketplace, getting up at five or six in the morning and getting home at seven o'clock at night and immediately having all the kids stuff to do. And Saturday was my, oh my goodness, now I got to do haircuts and cutting grass and going to the store and all the stuff, you know, Sunday really is the Sabbath kind of thing. And it's, it's like, once you get into that rhythm, like you're talking about where, you know, it's kind of nice to drink coffee in bed and watch TV, you know, watch the, you know, I can get the 45 minute service in. In fact, I could just cut out the music and just do the sermon part. (laughs) Or I can do it on demand or whoops, I forgot this week. Like, I'm not saying any of that is right. I'm just saying it's true. And what we're up against as leaders is always what it's against. We're up against human behavior. Right. Yeah. Like what what is leadership? It's trying to get people to do something they wouldn't do except for your leadership. And so you got to lead them into a growing relationship with Jesus. You've got to lead them to connect with their neighbors. You got to lead them to connect with God. And it just maybe got a little bit harder. You just got to wonder, Carrie, for, you know, whenever we get to that tipping point, whether it's the vaccine or three months after the vaccine, that point when people don't think twice about traveling again or yeah. fill in the blank going somewhere without yeah, a map. The NBA has got a regular season NFL's back and we're going to get to that point. It's going to happen. Yeah. I think we've, we've got to be planning to that point. It seems like when we get to that point, 
if I if I could only inv- you know if church is a stock at that point, okay, for at least the first three to six months, uh, yeah, I I absolutely want to be looking at the digital part. But you know what? People are so sick of being locked up at home and not being able to go anywhere. You just got to ask: Isn't there going to be a point? where people are like, I want to go to the meeting. I want to go somewhere. I'm just yeah. wondering as a non, if I were not a Christian and I don't yet know Jesus, like, do I just all of a sudden when COVID's all finished, the way I want to connect with Jesus is, oh, let's tune into a digital thing at this point. It just seems like there's a window of opportunity. I don't know what it is six months after, but for three to six months, people are going to want to get back, it seems like. And I hear that all the time. And uh, that may be absolutely true. My take's a little bit different than that. And this is where you and I've talked about it too. But my take would be, yeah, I think there could be maybe, you know, the Church of 500. It's like Sunday one, whenever that is. The NFL, the NBA, school's normal. People are flying all over the world. Borders are open. There's no threat of a virus. Yeah, maybe it's 550, 600, 700 for a week or two. I don't know. Uh, But that happened after 9-11 too, right? Everybody rushed back to church. And then you look at the long-term data, it's like down, 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 down. So I think what people are going to do is they're going to pick and choose. And they're going to say, my life did get slower during COVID. It was weird. It got slower. Uh, Are we going back to five nights of sport, cheer, equestrian with the kids every night? I don't think so. Are we going back to as much like, look at how much money we save by not eating at restaurants. Like maybe we'll get takeout because takeout's always cheaper. Then in-person dining, maybe we'll get takeout once in a while. And then church, yeah, maybe we'll be back once a month. But like when my friends are in town or that kind of thing, but we're going to be away for a little while. We'll be in the mountains and, you know, we're going to watch, we're going to give, we're going to contribute. But I wonder, I think one of the trends that I've been thinking about a lot as we record this is um, the, the, the ascent of home uh, over 2020. So you look at all the things that moved to the house. Um, work moved home. And some of that's a permanent shift. Employees want it. Employers want it. Will office towers repopulate? Yeah. But there's going to be a big, um, you know, big vacancy for commercial real estate and retail real estate. Shopping went home. Amazon's at my door three times a day, partly because I got a full life, but you know, my patterns have changed. Uh, Fitness went home. Will gyms ever be the same? Uh, I don't know. Um, a lot of people, they bought their their material and their equipment at home and now they're pretty much set up or they bought a bike. You can't buy a bike where I live because they're all gone. People are now into home fitness. Uh, school's gone home. And some of that obviously is going to go back to the school system, but some parents are going to pod or they're going to homeschool. And um, entertainment. I mean, they're now releasing because Hollywood's just been massively disrupted. They're now um, releasing directly to your home. So they're bypassing the theaters. Is that going to change? I don't know. So then where does church fit? Well, again, back to your distributed church, the mobilized church, the micro church. All of a sudden, what if my house became church? What if um, my neighborhood became church? I think that is an opportunity for the church to come alongside people. And I think some of those shifts are permanent. So I think there could be a little blip, but I think long term it's gone digital and people live a hybrid of digital and real life life. And uh, I think for church to fit into a digital component and even the relationships to be more digital than they were pre-COVID, I, I, I think that could be a, a long-term trend. I think for sure, I mean, the, the, the decentralized part of what you're talking about, it's, 
you know, whether it's what I'm really praying for and want <laughs> to happen or whether it does that, I mean, it would be a blessing in disguise if part of what comes out of COVID is we really do take a step forward in mobilizing the priesthood of all believers. Like yeah. this, this idea that, yeah, what I'm doing at home could be a church. I, I But I do think in that kind of environment, it seems like doesn't the role of the church become to flip that equation upside down and equip people in that? hundred like, percent. So you become the, the, the building is the equipping center. It's not the, it's not the pinnacle. You invert the pyramid. It's not like we have all you people so that you can come and watch our event or worship on Sunday morning. It's no, we exist to equip you. And that scales at a much better level. Like you want to talk about what scales that actually scales. Whereas trying to cram people in at set hours, I think is a model that we borrowed from previous centuries. So I think we've managed to upset absolutely everybody who's listening. I think that's a pretty good job. But um, okay, so here, here's what I want to know. What would you say to the church planter who started, uh, let's say Easter 2019, and let's say typical church, uh, they're meeting in a school gym where they can't meet anymore. Um, you know, 100 people, 75 people, 150 tops. It's a shoestring budget. They have just enough money to support a full-time pastor. And how are they doing right now? And what is their course ahead? Yeah, I, I think in, in the church planting space, Carrie, if, if you look the first year at least, it's usually like a capital campaign. You've done your fundraising in a way that you've got almost like a bridge loan. You've got the finances to sustain you in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Somewhere in that window you're talking about, Easter of 2019 is probably pretty close to it, um, where you start running out of the outside money and you're completely reliant on the internal money that, you know, tithes and offerings. Because your big pot just kind of got dwindled down, right? Right. Right. So you, you almost could make an argument if knowing everything you know about COVID now, if you had to pick between planting a church in spring of 2019 or planting a church in the spring of 2020, you might immediately think, oh, I don't want to do 2020. But you know what? They've got funding in place. They, I mean, they were already planning to have to suck it up and do their thing. That church planter that started somewhere between 2018 and 2019 we need to be praying for those guys mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. they're the ones who, you know, it takes normally three years to get financially self-sufficient. You start losing your outside money, more important on the internal. And it does come back to the importance, I hate to say, of the money and where the money comes from. But what does a church planner do that then plays into the future? They build a core team of people. That's really what's going to become the 20% that are funding the whole thing as you grow kind of thing, mm. you're building the depth of the relationship, you're getting into it. So my encouragement to anybody, not just the church planners at this point, how do you work on that relationship with the core of, of who you're on? Whether it's smaller gatherings around fire pits with social distancing, or I just think any way possible to get the face-to-face our lead pastor and I today, we we just spent three hours together outside social distancing, you know, doing the catch up conversation kind of thing. And I, I just think that that's irreplaceable at this point, I, I think, especially for the church planters that are trying to build what they're doing. Well, let's wrap up on a note of hope. Um, when you look forward to the future, 
where do you think the opportunity is? Because you are an optimist. I'm an optimist. And we've gone through a lot of like realistic scenarios because, you know, um, organizations that had money in the bank and a healthy team prior to COVID were in a much better position to respond to it, to give, to donate, to serve, to help. Uh, yeah. If you're struggling for your own survival, it's pretty hard to help other people survive. But if if you, you know, they've been in a much better position. So I see this as great opportunity. Um, and I think I think it could lead to an explosion of church growth that perhaps looks a little bit different than trying to cram as many people as possible into a building on Sunday morning. It might be a more I, distributed model. I, I think, Kerry, that is ex- that's my optimism, what you just described. I think if, if I were putting a label on the season we're in right now or a title on the chapter or the part of the book mm. we're in, the title has something to do with confusion, questions, uncertainty. The average church leader is uncertain. They have questions. They're wondering about the future. They don't have solutions yet. They have questions. And I think like your ministry, you have the ability, just like Exponential does, we can look ahead a year. We're going to survive COVID. And we can be looking and saying, what are the solutions that people need six months from now, 12 months from now? And I think more than ever, the church needs to put that kind of hat on. The the average church leader needs to say, not how am I going to survive tomorrow, but needs to try to look beyond the confusion of today and now see the people in the church are looking for solutions too. There's confusion with people. What does it look like for the decentralized church of the future through digital, through microsites, whatever the form is, what does it look like to mobilize people with the, and and maybe that solution as simple as instead of seeing themselves as a training center, it really is the subtle distinction to an equipping center. 100%. And what does it look like the best solution we can give the people to mobilize them into this new normal thing in the future is to figure out how to best equip, not just how to teach on a Sunday, but how do we equip? And that can take the form of a lot of different forms. So I'm actually very optimistic. I mean, there's a lot of challenges in in the short term, but I truly believe we're gonna look back in five to 10 years and say, wow, that was really cool what God did using COVID for the future of the church in the United States. I think you're right. And I think rather than focusing on what you can't do, which is we can't fill up all the rows, we can't get everybody in the way we want, focus on what is possible and what you can do. Man, what a robust discussion that was. I could listen to that for a lot more. In fact, uh, we've got here, Kerry Newhoff, who needs no introduction, and Todd Wilson. Again, I would say the same. We've just been listening to you talk for the second week. That was part two of that conversation. But man, that conversation, I feel like, you know, Kerry, with you, you're forward thinking, you, you go places, you've seen things ahead of the curve that others haven't. And then Todd, you know, you're, you're the mastermind. You're like the uh, Einstein of multiplication. So uh, it was amazing to be a fly on the wall. But for those that are here joining us, we have the opportunity now to pick the brains of these two leaders. So Kerry, Todd, thanks for joining and for getting down deep into the trenches with us here on Frontlines. Thanks, Peyton. Good to be with you and Todd, as usual. Well, I got a, I got a crazy call on Friday and Todd's like, hey, 
hey, what if we put a Monopoly game together for <laughs> leaders? And, uh, and I said, okay, I'm listening. I have to tell you, I've worked with Todd. He used to be a nuclear engineer, but he is a genius. He is a certified genius. And Todd had something really cool to kick us off. It has to do with Monopoly, and I think it's going to be fun. So, Todd, why don't you lay that out for us? Well, we, we're going to go quickly here, Kerry, and I, I am thankful for you jumping back on with us. and being Oh, no worries. Hey, I always lose at Monopoly, so this will be fun. It'll be short. Uh, it'll be over before you know it. Well, here's how short this is going to be. Uh, if you think about Monopoly for a second, the colored properties around the board, mm -hmm. uh, each property, here's what I want to think about. We're going to play Churchopoly, yeah. priorities for the post-COVID church. And I don't know if you ever played the fast round robin version of Monopoly, where instead yeah, of going around, you, you actually go around at the beginning and you get to pick a property that you want. You prioritize and pick the property that you want you, until all the properties are divvied out. So here's what I want to do just for a couple of minutes to transition into some Q&A. Um, let's you and I go back and forth right now. Let's pretend that around the Monopoly board, are the priorities of a post-COVID church. Mm -hmm. And it could range from a healthy student ministry, a children's ministry, the worship on Sunday morning, the preaching on Sunday morning. There's this list of all of these possible things that you could prioritize in the post-COVID church era. And here's all we're going to do. Carrie Newhoff gets to go first in the round robin game. So I get so, to pick Boardwalk and Park Place, right? You, and or, there you go. So what we're looking for right. is what is the Boardwalk and Park Place of the post-COVID church? Yeah, I'm hiring, uh, well, depending on the size of the church, I'm hiring a couple of younger tech-savvy staff who can lead our online initiative. That's and, Boardwalk. And define online initiative, if you would. Well, what I mean is our whole presence from our engagement strategy to not just like a videographer, but somebody who understands YouTube, somebody who understands social engagement. Um, possibly this could be a second skill set, email list growth. Um, that whole digital engagement side from content, not just content creation, because you can get videographers, et cetera, um, but really the mastermind behind how to get noticed online, how to interact, how to engage with your people, and, and ultimately not just to attract people, to, but to equip people. Um, but there's, there's a lot of noise online, and so you got to hire a team or get partners that can really help you with that. And, I, and, and since I get to make up this game, I'm gonna, we're going to jump to my turn in a second. But yeah, yeah. You, you, you said about four different priorities there. Okay. You would hire a really solid tech person. You'd get somebody who could do engagement really well. You, you listed three or four okay, so digital characteristics. Engagement. I want you to digital pick one of strategist. the characteristics now. What's the Boardwalk one? is digital engagement strategist. Digital engagement strategist. Okay. And, and last part of the question, why? What, just succinctly, why? I do think that the future is going to be a seamless slipstream between physical and digital. We know how to do physical well. I'm assuming those people are on my team. Yep. We don't know how to do digital All as right. well as we could. All right. I'm going to take my turn now, and it's going to come back at you pretty quickly because I'm going to play right off what you said. You said you would hire this person. What I'm doing in a post-COVID environment is I'm building a bivocational team. So mm -hmm. 
I'm not actually going to hire, I'm, I'm going to put, take that person you want. And my strategy post COVID is, is a bivocational strategy where I'm putting a very strong priority on the mobilization of the priesthood of believers, which starts with anywhere I can, I'm, I'm finding marketplace people who are investing that talent in. So my post COVID priority that I'm picking as my first one is a is a bivocational, co-vocational expression of church. No, so that's you're right I back told you I always back. lose a monopoly. So this is, I'm playing right into my historic pattern. <laughs> so back to your turn again. Now you get to your next priority. Next priority would be um, probably a communications person. Okay. Somebody, somebody who could synthesize all the various aspects of communication. So digital engagement's more strategy. Communication person is somebody who's actually really good at refining and polishing like content itself, uh, the message itself or the getting out of the message. And did your, the, the first two people then that you're talking about, the digital engagement, is this also then what's going to take you into a more digital future where you're doing yeah, more yeah, digital yeah. and I'm assuming we're doing in person. Okay. And we can pivot yep. there. So I'm, I'm looking at new team. Okay. So this is the new team to add. So you're adding the, yeah. the digital person. Um, my next one would, would definitely be in the mobilization side. It's this idea prior to COVID, you know, we wanted to see the missional expression and more mobilization and weren't necessarily seeing it. COVID hits, and now we're all wanting to mobilize, but still having a hard time mobilizing because of the context. So I'm wanting to, hmm. whether it's higher or fine, just like you're talking about the digital expression, I really want, whether you want to call it a missional mobilization or a, the, the mobilization of the priesthood of all believers, I really want a culture of mobilization one that's not going to be built around the Sunday experience, although we'll have the Sunday experience, but around really mobilizing people. I know we're playing a game, but it yep. would not shock me if you looked at what I have in mind for digital engagement, what you have in mind for mobilization, and they're actually about 80% congruent. Yep. Uh, like overlapping congruent? Overlapping, thing? yeah. Overlapping. I, I wonder if there's slightly different expressions of a similar thing because yep. I think digital engagement is mobilization because right. in a distributed church, um, what you're really trying to do is you're trying to figure out how to activate the people where they are to be disciples, to make disciples, to reach out to their neighbors. So I know it sounded very digital and very like markety, but the point is there's so much noise online, you can't get heard. And the purpose of digital engagement is not to just engage content, but to actually help people realize how to live out their faith where they are. Got it. Let's each go one more and then we'll jump to okay. Q&A with people. You got another one? Or was it my oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was waiting for a question. Like I say, I always lose. Um, I would say kids. Um, somehow kids and student ministry, if you want to call it family ministry or kids, yep. those are the people who are probably most needing to get back to church and also uh, most hesitant for about a gazillion reasons. I also think parents are probably the most stressed people uh, when it comes to COVID because they're working from home, they've got kids at home, um, all their social safety network is broken. 
And um, I think that's going to be, that's going to take a high level of skill to figure out how to equip and get behind families in the future. So whether that's repositioning someone on staff, mobilizing the existing team or whatever, but that would be another key priority for me. And I, I know we're playing a game here. My, I guess my last one then, and this plays off something you said on one of our previous conversations. Um, it's sort of in the digital space, but I, mm. I would call it almost the library of content. It is more in that Netflix realm. I think you're the one who right. told me that where it, it's one thing to just get the Sunday hits on yeah. your service. It's another thing to have the 24-7 iTunes Beyond playlist of engagement. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I would even, in my case, take it one step, you know, I'm not a preaching pastor, so it's easier for me to say, I would love to have a library that's made up of lots of leaders. If, if the very best parenting sermon series was done by Craig Rochelle, I want him in my library. Right. If Almost like a right now media for your local church. There you go. It's, it's the yeah. right now media expression through the local church where, uh, it, we're flipping the equation upside down. Instead of we can do it, you can help, and we're going to deliver what you need. It's you know what you need in your neighborhood and your life. We're going to help deliver the very best on demand. You know, it's that on demand content part, no matter who it's from. It doesn't have to be authored by our local church. So. Yeah, I think, I think that's true. And I think what's interesting underneath that assumption is this idea that our uh, one of our main assets has been unique content and the internet killed that a decade ago, but COVID really killed it. And so that whole idea, if your whole value is based on no, come in here, me communicate my message. Well, there's a gazillion other people communicating messages out there and there, a lot of them are probably better than I am. Mm-hmm. So then the question becomes, what's your unique advantage? So I think having that library and then figuring out how to be the local church to, to equip your local people to build a church around content. You have to be like Uber gifted at this point. And, and Peyton, we're going to hand things back to you and see that this is why you get the big bucks, Peyton, for uh, taking our mess and turning it into an interview. It does seem Carrie, like everything we just talked about is some integration of engagement digital content engagement and just the engagement part of things does seem. Well, I mean, you know, prior to COVID, everything was going there anyway, right? That whole line about uh, engagement is a new attendance. We all kind of knew that going into COVID, but the same is true online and it's amplified because it takes a lot for me to walk into your building or walk out of your building. That's a big decision, right? If you're in the middle of a message and I don't want to engage, For me to walk out, my pain point has to be so high with whatever is happening in the room, and it happens a handful of times a year, usually to most leaders. Online, it's a simple flick of the thumb. That's it. It's like all of a sudden I'm disengaged, and I could be totally, I could just delete you completely, like unfollow, and then I'm completely disengaged. So that's why digital engagement went up. For me, and I don't think that has to be like, look at my awesome message, look at my awesome content. I mean, it's great. You're going to have great messages. You're going to preach the word. But I really think it's a question of mobilizing people, which is why I think your pick and my pick kind of dovetail beautifully together. All right, Peyton. Well, that's good. And if this product had a tagline, it would have to be something like church is not a game, right? Like that's what we'd (laughs) we'd have to tell people. But, you know, as we look at this, um, 
One of the things, Carrie, that, that, that we've had come in as a question, and Todd, is one of our watchers said, I'm a millennial pastor, and something I notice in my generation is their affinity for low-commitment subscription. I'm wondering what your thoughts would be about a church subscription box that targets local areas to subscribe to your church instead of classic tithes and offering. It's interesting, you know, I've talked to Scott Harrison quite a bit from Charity Water about how he's trying to fundraise and he ended up going to a subscription model. Now, um, I mean, this could be an hour long conversation in and of itself. Part of me says that engaged disciples, so forget the whole online offline debate, but what does an engaged disciple do? You know, to me, a priority in my life is giving. Like, that's just something I do because I follow Jesus. And the first priority, the first 10% of my giving goes to the local church. So I don't know that that would change. I could see subscription. Like, if, if you look at it, to a certain extent, to give credit to the, to the leader who asked the question, yeah, I mean, when it becomes recurring giving, right, and a lot of people, we say automate the important, right? So I wonder if that kind of is a subscription model. Um, you know, what Scott has found is that he divides for charity water. He has 131-ish families, last time I talked to him, who give at $100,000 a year or more to fund the operations of charity water and to even offset any fees. So that way, when you give your $30 a month, $10 a month, $20 a month, 100% goes to clean water. Um, I have really been intrigued by that as a thought for onboarding new givers. Uh, I would be happy to pay the light bill at a church. That's no problem. You want me to pay salary benefits? No problem. I'm a follower of Jesus. Like I get it. And I know I've run a church. I know what it takes. Um, but I think for the average person coming in, we've seen great traction at Connexus with young givers becoming regular and sacrificial givers. But I wonder if there's something to that recurring subscription thing that can be a, a doorway in. Todd, what do you think? We've got another question that's mm. very similar. And I was, I was just wondering if we could uh, piggyback off that. One person said, what values are important that are not consumeristic in strategizing about our digital presence? I think engagement isn't consumeristic. Um, it feels that way because you're asking people, you know, the superficial level of engagement is like, subscribe, follow, comment, blah, 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 blah. But real engagement means we're on a journey together. And obviously, Jesus is the center of that journey. But I don't think that's like consumeristic at all. And ultimately, the gospel is a call to sacrifice, right? Like, what am I giving, not what am I getting? And so, we play in this consumer culture, we play in this consumer landscape, but we have a very countercultural message. And I think if you look at the churches that have been effective over the last 20 years, um, there is an element to church lead, like churches that are really effective at producing disciples kind of use the culture to reach the culture. You know, yeah, we got a stage set and yeah, we're decent communicators and yeah, the band is half decent. And yes, you know, we got a nice logo for our study or membership or small groups or whatever. Um, but ultimately it's a, it's a counterintuitive message. So looks like I've, uh, I, I've somehow taken Todd out. I, I didn't mean to. His computer. Froze. Well, you knocked him out of the game. Karen. I knocked him out of the game. Your your your, that your answer lose, was so good. Yeah. See, so you you won. I mean, digital bankruptcy. Sorry, Todd. We miss you. Well, I, I think it's good, and I know you you only have about a minute left yeah. before we lose you. So, uh, last question, Carrie, is when people 
kind of up their game physically, what is it that they need to do to increase the engagement or to give value to people that are like, hey, I'm at home. I've been watching a show. I don't want to go there and just watch another show. I can do that from my living room. Well, I think one thing COVID has done for us, and I've thought about this quite a bit, is it... What happens in the room is less important than what happens when people leave the room. And now I know we've always believed that, right? What happens at home is more important than what happens at church. What happens at the workplace is more important than what happens at church. But I think that's elevated it because this kind of a break, this kind of a disruption has made us ask questions that we haven't asked before. And I think when people come back, like I have felt this intense hunger as someone who has worshiped at home for most of 2020, where I'm like, I really want people, I really want my church to equip me where I am for my neighbors, in my community, in my city. Now, I always believe that, but the intensity has shifted up. So I think that's going to happen. And then I think, I think the, the gravitational pull of a streamed event or on-demand content has to shift from, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me preaching, look at me talking, look at me worshiping, look at me communicating, to actually, I'm just here to help you. I'm here to make sure that Peyton, where you're living, Todd, where you are, uh, where all of you are, that you have what you need. So you kind of become the conduit or the channel. And so I think that consumer culture where it's worked against us is like, look at my preaching, look at this, look at that. So anyway, I don't know whether that helps, but those are some shifts that I see happening. And it's a privilege yeah. to be on with you guys. Glad we could uh, make it work. Even for Curry, thanks so much for joining us today, man. We greatly okay. appreciate you. See ya. My pleasure. You bet. Bye -bye. All right. Well, Todd, while I still have you here, uh, I want to, the, the last question, I know your computer froze up there, but the last question that we had was what can we do to up our game physically to engage people as they look at going back after the lockdowns, after COVID? Um, what are some things that you think that can foster? Because you, you hear this thread running through all the questions. That's kind of this, hey, I, I want to up my digital game, but I also don't want to betray the, the core need to do exactly what you're saying, which is to disciple, to mobilize, to do all those things. How do you think the church can add value to people in that department that sitting at home watching online won't provide? Well, I, I definitely uh, think, Peyton, that, you know, I, I don't think we're headed toward an all digital future. I don't, I don't think the, you know, when we talk about a pivot or a new normal, uh, I, I'm not a person who's in the camp that we're going to be, you know, radically more digital. Um, I think we're going to have a, personally, I think we're going to have a period of time where people are a bit sick of digital. Um, so, uh, you know, I think the way we've got to answer this question is turn it back. I, I, I'll ask you, Peyton, pretend COVID's over right now. Like we're past it. The pandemic has passed. What does re-engagement look like for you? Is it different than what you're doing in your small group right now? Is it different than your church? Like, what, what does the future of engagement look like if it were over right now, if COVID was over? Yeah, I think that, you know, everybody wishes that they had a time machine to go back and prepare for this, right? Um, kind of like Back to the Future when uh, he comes back with, with the almanac, Biff Tannen, and he, he, he bets on all the winning horses and becomes a millionaire. Um, but, you know, if I were to, to kind of put money down on something that's going to hook people, that's going to engage them, that's going to keep them, I would look 
at some form of interaction or discussion. For example, uh, way years ago, you know, uh, when I was in Wales as a missionary, we didn't sit in rows. We sat in half circles. So we created small groups within the church because we started on the back of a Barnes & Noble uh, reading group. It was actually Borders Books. May they rest in peace. But it was literally on the back of, of reading Dan Brown Da Vinci Code which uh, we all knew was a bunch of rubbish and nonsense, but we sat around to say, you know, let's get into it. Enough people come through the coffee bar to ask. So when we came to planning, when that 30 Europeans, 40 Europeans, 50 Europeans, week after week, it was growing. We're like, okay, we're on to something here. Uh, People want to talk and they want to, they don't just want to listen. So that idea of engagement and interaction became missional gold for us. I feel that the church is still trying to catch up to that and to tap into that brilliance that they had in the first century. I mean, Paul, it says that he went into the synagogue and he reasoned with them, which literally means he had a discussion. So their church was discussion and debate. And so we empowered that mobilization aspect you talked about. We were empowering everyone in that group. I mean, every week, if you were in a group of eight people and there were non-believers in your midst, or even it was all believers, you were getting evangelism, discipleship, your spiritual gifts were being used. Um, you were getting a chance to reach out and lay hands on someone and pray for them that God would intervene in their life. And in, in a weird way, even our Sunday morning became a form of discipleship in and of itself, because I always subscribe to the idea that, you know, people are lazy. You know, I, I have two fundamentals. People are lazy and stupid, right? I know the founding fathers believe that. I think, I think parts of the Bible ascribe to that. But, you know, we got to provide for them that opportunity. If we expect people to come back for something, I, I just don't think it happens, you know? I, I'm wondering, Peyton, could it be if we, if we were just kind of creating categories of future groupings of people, it seems like there is a group that and but you know whether they're more on the introvert scale i don't know but there's a group that wants regular church to get back i i just want to be able to go back to sunday and it and and for that group it may not be that there's a whole lot of change that has to happen it may be there's a group of people that want things back to normal on the other end of the spectrum there's there's likely a group that may be done with formal church like and it's not maybe going to matter how much we strategize. So, you know, those two groups, the come back to church, the, hey, I'm done with it. I don't know if there's a whole lot of strategizing there. I, I love that you bring that up because what, one of my favorite things about church planning in the New Testament is we're told, you know, that Paul planted here, he planted there, he planted there. I mean, all throughout the New Testament, you know, we've got epistles written to church plants. We've got narratives and acts telling us it happened this way here. But God never tells us ever in the scripture what a service looked like. Hmm. And, and, and I just got to kind of step back from that and say, you know, the Holy Spirit's a genius. You know, he, he knows he, he didn't prescribe to us what we had to do. And I, I find that exciting. I find that, you know, we're going to preach the gospel. We're going to glorify Jesus. We're going to worship him. We're going to pray. You know, uh, there's communion. That seems to be evident. You know, you get these little snatches of what they did, but it never gives you a format. And I love that. 
Well, hey, uh, thanks for letting me contribute. I mean, uh, you know, being on here with uh, you and Carrie for a few minutes was amazing. But uh, guys, I want to introduce you to something called the Divided No More Resource Kit. I don't want you to forget about this if you haven't seen this yet. This is actually a new resource for you that you can literally go and purchase for $19. And if you haven't seen this yet, uh, we want to say to you that uh, starting tomorrow, you can purchase a kit at a special Black Friday rate of $19. Now, this includes more than 100, you heard me right, 100 videos from national speakers. It's got articles and book summaries. We interviewed 30 authors on topics such as, you know, all diversity topics on books such as The Color of Compromise. We have, you can see some of the speakers there and they gave us their time to give us their book summary straight from the author's mouth and they're discussing diversity, ethnicity, and all of that on mission, the church, and how to work together and come together, which was our core theme this year. Uh, the theme of unity, which was our together theme. We couldn't have known how providential that was going to be. But we want to encourage you, if you want to know, uh, we talked about mobilization. If you want to know how to get together with a group of people and dig deeper into this, this resource kit actually allows you to throw your own roundtable. You could do this with your friends. You could do this in your church. You can do this with your small group. That's literally what this is. This is a plug and play, uh, exactly what the guys were talking about. You can choose the speakers you want that fit your local context, exactly the model they're talking about, which is what's the best content for my situation. That's why there's so much of this. You can choose from all these speakers, put together your own roundtable and run it yourself, whether two or more or uh, run it churchwide. It's a great tool, $19. It's a steal. And that's our Black Friday sale. So be sure to head on over to multiplication.org and check that out today. Well, Todd, thanks so much for joining us today. Appreciate all you do. Peyton, thank you for letting me be on. And we want to encourage you also to um, be sure to keep checking with multiplication.org. Be sure to check in with the hub. And on behalf of Exponential, I want to thank you today for joining us. And we wish you a happy Thanksgiving and a great holidays. And we'll see you next week on Frontlines.